immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. This episode is sponsored by Innovate Audio. Innovate Audio offers a range of software-based spatial audio processing tools. Their latest product, PanLab Console, is a Mac OS application that adds 3D spatial audio rendering capabilities to live audio mixing consoles, including popular models from Yamaha, Midas, and Behringer. This means you can achieve an object-based audio workflow utilizing the hardware you already own. Use the code immersive to zero for 20% discount on all PanLab licenses. To find out more, visit innovateaudio.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, episode 92, with me, your host, Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. Hi, Monica. How are you today? Good. How are you doing, Oliver? I'm good. I'm, I'm a little bit under the weather, as you can probably hear in my voice, but never mind. Let's press on with our interview. Our guest today Mariam Gvinashvili. Mariam is a sound artist and composer who combines electronics, electroacoustics, and 3D sound technology with visuals, dance, and live performance with a focus on physical and emotional essence of sound and space. Hello, Mariam, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Oliver. Hello, Monica. And thanks for having me. To kick off our conversation, why don't you describe your journey and evolution as a composer and how you came to start composing and performing in spatial audio? Can you talk about some of the places you've presented your work as well? I um, started as a as an instrumental composer back in 2008. Uh, I applied for Tbilisi State Conservatory BA program and... Um, after three years of composing instrumental music, I realized that this was something that I was not really comfortable, the genre itself, and working with acoustic instruments. But back then, we didn't have any uh, electronic music studies there. And then it happened just in time that I got an offer to participate in an exchange program and move to Norway for a year um, and study well, not a composition, but uh, studio techniques and uh, do and uh, well, back then that was Cubase, and also learn how to take care of a studio because uh, according to that collaboration, like a part of that collaboration between Tbilisi State Conservatory and Norwegian Academy of Music, was that uh, there was a, a music technology studio that opened in this framework. So I had to take a position of a studio manager. So this is what I spent a year on uh, in Oslo, learning how to take care of equipment and how to also be able to record uh, in the studio and stuff like that. And uh, after a year, I went back to BBC and started working at the conservatory. And I did that for six years. Uh, that was a long time. And I was happy doing what I was doing and I loved it. But at some point I started to realize that, yes, I, there is still something missing, which is, uh, you know, being an artist, being a composer again. So then I started uh, looking into the opportunities to, you know, just, you know, compose again, 
Chapman, learn about electronic music. And then I figured that there was another exchange program going on between Tbilisi State Conservatory and this time with the Liszt Academy of Music, which was also a year-long program. And I left my job there and I moved to Budapest to study electronic composition for the first time. And uh, I had an incredible teacher there, Andreas Sigetvari, uh, who is also a fantastic composer. And that was also the year when I first got to work with Spatial Audio because the studio which we used to work in had this eight-channel setup. And it was like a, it was like a big discovery for me to listen to spatial compositions in this format. And I started uh, figuring out how can I work with this. At first, it was, uh, when I think about it, it's, it's just so funny the way I was working with it, you know, using this automations and pannings to somehow move the sound between the speakers because back then I didn't know about the techniques such as ambisonics, for example, which is something that I use these days. Yeah, after that year, I decided to study this this more, you know, like deeply. And then uh, I knew that by that time, Natasha Barrett was accepting a new uh, group uh, at the Norwegian Academy of Music in a master's uh, program, which was a, a spatial audio composition. And I applied for that and I uh, was accepted and yeah, so then I studied for two years and this is where uh, it starts for me, you know, like working in this field and and uh, I can say that this is what I do as a main uh, thing as an artist. I work with electronic music, but uh, within the genre, I focus on spatial audio. And uh, you also asked about the venues and places that I uh, presented my work at and I I'm actually lucky to say that I've got several opportunities to perform my music, to present it in the festivals and venues that I always wanted to, such as, uh, I don't know, MPAC in New York and Cube in Virginia Tech and uh, ZKM, ADL System in Berlin, Autosonics in Graz, IM. No, Autosonics is in Linz, actually. I am in Graz and Beast Feast in Birmingham and in, 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 in the UK. And in Oslo, Henny Onstad Center, Ultima Festival, and so on. You currently live in Oslo, Norway. Can you talk a little bit about spatial music scene over there? This is a question that I get very often because I think it's very clear that the scene is pretty strong here in Oslo and like generally in Norway. And I guess there are several reasons for that. I only lived here for five years, so I can only talk based on my experience and based on what I th I think is a reason why the scene is so strong. I think I have to mention Notam, first of all, which is a center, Norwegian Center for Technology and Art and Music, and we will talk about this later, I guess. And Notam for years has been working towards, um, you know, promoting this genre and also... Uh, the only multi-channel studio that that is in Norway, which is open for artists to work in, uh, is Etnotam. They have 24.1 speaker setup. And for years, uh, they run the studio. And besides that, they also run the spatial audio program as part of Ultima Festival, which is 
the biggest festival in Norway for contemporary arts. Uh, besides this, there is this educational education part of it, which I briefly mentioned that Natasha Barrett had this uh, master course, especially focusing in uh, spatial audio. And only from that course, I know five people, five artists, very successful uh, artists uh, who are still based in Oslo and pursue their careers as a special mu music composers. So there was this educational part of it as well. And uh, it should also do something with the artists such as Natasha herself and there are some other fantastic composers uh, like Anders Tveit or Trondlosius who are also special music composers. And this all together, I guess, uh, results in the scene being very strong. And yeah, and not to forget, there is also an organization called Electric Audio Unit uh, that is a Norwegian electroacoustic music group specializing in immersive spatial audio concerts, 3D experiences and spatialization performance. Uh, EAU, this is the short for Electric Audio Unit, performs works from around the world and also commissions new works from the composers. So I guess that also plays a big role in it. Mariam, we both help co-host uh, the spatial audio meetups through NOTAM. Um, you and I actually, we met at the Cube a long, long time ago now. Yes. Seems like, I guess, 2019. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then you kind of pulled me into helping with the co-hosting of the spatial audio meetups. Maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, some of, uh, well, the spatial audio meetup, but also some of the other meetups that NOTAM does and um, anything else that you kind of want to talk about uh, with NOTAM. Yeah, maybe I, I, I will say a few words about NOTAM for people who haven't heard about it. Like I said, it's a Norwegian Center for Technology and Art and Music. And um, it's it's pretty old. It, it, it existed for more than 25 years. Um, and when it comes to what, what NOTAM does, uh, there are several things. For example, helping with creative process, which means there are artists coming up with some project ideas that need technical assistance, and this is what NOTAM uh, helps with. Uh, there is also research and development, uh, that is uh, software, hardware development in collaboration with the uh, professionals in the field. There is also educational uh, uh, part, uh, which is courses, for example, Max MSP course that runs every year. It's an online course. Uh, they also organize workshops uh, when they invite uh, professionals from different fields. Uh, and then there are meetups. Regarding meetups, um, I, I just love this this project and I, I'm, I'm always uh, happy to talk about it. Uh, we started this during COVID. Well, in, in this format, in online format, we started during COVID because this was only way to somehow, you know, keep the community together uh, because meetups were happening before COVID as well. And uh, those were physical when people, you know, interested in certain uh, themes or topics would come together and there were evenings of discussions and, you know, sharing ideas and so on. But then uh, during COVID, this was not possible anymore. So... Uh, not a made a decision to start online meetings instead. And uh, we have five meetups uh, that are happening monthly and up until now. So those are uh, Spatial Audio Meetup, which Monica and I are hosting. 
there is Max Meetup, uh, Super Glider Meetup, um, a Meetup for Artists in Technology, which is a forum for female, non-binary, and transgender artists, which is uh, what I'm also hosting together with the uh, Berlin-based artist. And there is also electronic stinkering workshop that is happening in the, in person at the at the premises of Notam. And I maybe I also say that Notam just uh, moved to a new location and uh, they will reopen from January. And I would encourage people listening to this podcast to time to time check the website because uh, there are residences happening, mostly in the video studio. But if you are invited to work in the studio, then you can also use the multi-channel studio. So, uh, yeah, feel free to check the websites time to time. Maybe a fun fact for our audience. This is actually uh, one of the spatial audio meetups was where Oliver and I first met. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Okay. <laughs> nice. I was literally about to say exactly the same thing. Thank you for no time because that's how I met Monica and it's been uh, wonderful ever since. So I'm yeah. very serendipitous. Amazing. I'm I'm happy to hear that because this was one of the goals for the meetups to happen, you know, so we connect people. It's not only for us to keep the community together, but I very often hear the people who met at the Notam, they started working together and they have some projects going on. And this is definitely one of the goals that we try to achieve. And I'm, I'm really happy to hear that, that it's working. So moving into our hot topic, we are going to be talking about composing for space. You might not know, but I am a fan of your work, actually. <laughs> I, mean, I probably told you at some point in time, but uh, Mariam Thank you. Has, is an amazing composer. And oh, I so you know, feel blessed to have been able to hear a lot of her work in person and, um, mm. you know, and then being able to just kind of watch her grow as an artist and composer. Um, but would you mind talking about a few of your favorite compositions you've created and where you get your inspiration and what have been some of your biggest influences? Yeah, well, yeah, first of all, thanks for saying that. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, favorite compositions, that's that's a difficult question to answer. But I, I would say that my favorite compositions are the ones that my audience enjoys the way I do, I guess. Because it just feels different. I mean, and that happens a lot that you spend month and month and maybe year or even more on uh, on a piece that you present. And this is something that it's like, yeah, of course, I mean, you still present it and uh, you're still proud of it that you finished and you have it done. But there are some other pieces that people just love listening to. And then those are the ones which they like to talk about also after the performance. And if that happens, and if, if people who came to the concert feel like coming to me after the concert and like asking me questions, how did I do this and how did I do that and what worked or what didn't work, that's also very important. I, I usually ask them, okay, I, I really appreciate that you liked it, but is there something that absolutely didn't work for you? I would like to know because in the end, for me, what is the most important is that 
people sitting in the concert hall where, where they're listening to my music enjoy it, you know, like this is what I'm making music for. I'm not making it only for myself, right? So I guess my favorite compositions are the one which I know that my audience enjoyed as much as I did. Uh, your other question was about inspiration uh, and influences. And this is also these are also the questions that I get very often. And uh, um, I never really have like a specific names to uh, mention because there is so much going on in the field. And because I'm fortunate enough to participate in different festivals and even just, just, you know, visit even if I'm not participating and have this like constant, you know, input of new works and uh, what is going on in the field. And not only necessarily in spatial audio, but like, for example, what is happening in the visual arts right now. It's, it's so incredible. And this all uh, becomes inspiration for new works and... There are so many artists around me whose work is influential that I, I don't think it makes sense to, you know, start naming them because there, there are just too many. So inspirations come from like biggest inspirations and influences always come from the works of other artists around me. And I'm really happy to be able to have this uh, in my life, to experience it, to go to the festivals, to listen to it, to talk to the artists and... That also what makes my work uh, work, if I can say so. Maybe do you mind uh, maybe taking uh, one one piece that you feel like the audience um, has particularly liked and, you know, maybe expanding a little bit about, you know, one of those pieces. So I know you had a recent piece called Ruins that you presented. I don't know if you want to talk about that one or. This is exactly actually what I wanted to mention because this is my latest uh, audiovisual piece and um Okay, so I've been uh, composing spatial music for several years now. And I started as a very happy composer, uh, doing something very exclusive, you know, something that not many people do. Uh, but then I started realizing that, like, okay, I mean, this is all great, but then what I end up with is, is a piece that I spend so much time on and then it just performed two or three times. 
and that's that's it because like you know there is always a limitation when you choose to work in this field you know that you know uh, you cannot just take it anywhere and play in any venue only the venues and concert halls that have uh, the necessary equipment speaking of you know speaker setup can host pieces like that also there is another problem with this like in Oslo there are a lot of concerts that happen throughout the year like I said previously like we're really lucky to have the opportunity to have all these artists around who who have been working with this and then there is electric audio unit and not them who always put up the concerts and uh yeah, we have the possibility to perform our pieces. But at some point I started thinking about the fact that uh, the audience uh, gets a little bit, maybe bored is not the, the word, but like, you know, sitting in a dark hall and listening. It's exciting, obviously, listening to a sound coming from all the directions and then this immersion and envelopment that you get from this music. But still, there is a lack of the visual impulse then I started thinking maybe I can bring visuals in my in my work and I start to familiarize myself with uh, different softwares that I can create visuals with. And uh, my first work, uh, audiovisual work that I created that was during my master's program, uh, that was deconstruction, that piece ended up uh, being in so many festival programs that I I realized that okay maybe that's the way to go because this is something that people remember like I I have so many uh, other works uh, in this field but one work that everyone remembers is deconstruction because it has it is an audiovisual piece so since then I'm working with audiovisual media I'm not educated in uh, visuals I, I I don't have a you know formal education in it so I'm learning it on my own and by you know watching other works and talking to the artists and then uh, the latest uh, audiovisual work uh, was Ruins um, which was commissioned by uh, Henny Onstad Art Center this is a historic center in Norway that hosts and yeah used to host and still hosts some incredible artists and that was a very big responsibility for me um, and the piece was premiered during the Triennale of Photography and New Media. I started working on it uh, during the war. Uh, well, it's still going on, sadly, but it was new then between Russia and Ukraine. And um, I, coming from Georgia, I also have that experience of, uh, you know, seeing ruins around me. Uh, because we also had a war with Russia in 2008. It was nothing like what is happening in Ukraine right now, but still. And then this is where the artistic idea was coming from, that I, I wanted to show the brutality of a war. Like any war, it was not necessarily about this particular one and uh, how much effort it takes to build what we what we build, like, you know, where we live and then uh, how little time it takes to destroy it all. Yeah, I started working on it and it took me a lot of time until I found a way to, you know, like express myself the way I wanted. So like you still, like this, this kind of topics are always very hard to work on because it's very painful for uh, people. So you have to be very, very careful uh, what you do and how you do it. Um, but yes, then the piece was premiered and I 
based on the reactions and the comments and uh, reviews, I uh, I realized that it was something people really could uh, resonate with and connect and uh, understand and uh, also enjoy, despite the theme, which was pretty heavy. So, um, yeah, I think it worked and I, I showed the piece in many other places in many like different situations, like technically also. I Here it was premiered as a uh, single uh, screen uh, projection and multi-channel sound. And then later I performed it in uh, uh, Germany at Zimt in Leipzig. And there we did the multi-screen projection and it worked even uh, better. It was so impressive the way it worked. So yeah, that's about ruins. So, Mariam, can you talk about your workflow in terms of the tech and the instrumentation? What tools do you use? Uh, is your setup different for live performance um, compared to when you're working in the studio, composing, producing? Yes, so my setup is usually, I mean, depending on what I'm working on, it changes. But uh, since I use Ambisonic as a main uh, technique for my Multi-channel works when I work with fixed media. My workflow always includes Reaper, and I'm very biased to uh, IM uh, plugin suit because uh, this is something that gives the flexibility to just step in the studio and uh, start working right away. It's very easy. This is also why I, when I teach or when I do workshops for 
beginners, I always uh, start by showing them uh, IEM plugins because it's it's very easy to grasp for someone who has never worked with it. And for me too, I, I it, it saves me a lot of time to just, you know, set up a project in Reaper and then uh, insert plugins and just get on to the work. But this is obviously in the situations when I'm working with uh, uh, traditional, you know, normal ambisonic setups with, you know, uniformly arranged speakers and uh, uh, with the situations where you already have the uh, speaker coordinates because it's so easy to create a decoder and just get on to work. Because very often uh, there is no time to experiment with this. So yeah, this is my setup for fixed media. And when it comes to live performance, um, this is something that actually I used to uh, discuss with the fellow artists in the field, because this is something I'm very much interested in. Um, uh, when I perform live, again, because I'm coming from a fixed media um, composition um, scene, uh, I do need to have some control over what I'm doing. So my live setups are not always 100% live. I always uh, prepare uh, sound material. Well, not always, but most of the time I do have a prepared sound material that I process live. And I also have uh, um, prepared a, a patch, max patch, that uses SPAT. So the way I work is that I have all my audio um, files in Reaper. And then the specialization happens from SPAT where I have several uh, presets of uh, predefined positions of the sources or predefined trajectories of the sources. For example, I have this uh, um, static uh, position sound sources around the audience. Uh, and I have another one where they move randomly. And then there is another one that moves on an elevation like vertically. And then there is another one that works, uh, moves on uh, a horizontal axis. And these are the uh, presets that I use in live performance and I switch from one to another. I also um, several times tried to perform with a phone. So the phone is a controlling device of a sound source in the space, but it never really worked so well for me. So I quit doing that. But... Um, this workflow for live performances so far, um, pretty efficient for me and what I want to do live. So you've presented your compositions in many different speaker arrays and types of speaker arrays, including recently a composition for the Orchestra of Futurist Intoners. Um, how do these different speaker setups influence your compositions? Um, are the compositions specific for the array or can they be presented in different systems? Is it different depending on the composition? Uh, yes, Intonarumori project. This is something that everyone is asking about these days. And I understand why, because this is a very special, this was a very special occasion. Uh, Intonarumori is, a, is an orchestra of futurist noise intoners. Um, there was a project that I participated in, uh, first in Poland and then in Norway. Uh, where I, together with uh, three other composers, we were commissioned uh, 
by the festival to create new pieces. And that was really uh, different from what I'm used to working on something I don't really have any uh, experience working with uh, because we didn't have the chance to actually work with the instruments until we arrived in Sokolowsko in Poland. And um, also we didn't really have so much time to, you know, make changes in the score. So I created the score for this uh, uh, composition. But the thing is, I, I don't really think of this as a multi-channel uh, speaker setup necessarily because it's it's more... It's, it's like an instrument ensemble, acoustic instrument ensemble with a very, very uh, impressive uh, sound quality. It's It just sounds uh, so incredible when all instruments operate together. Most of the people sitting in the uh, concert hall, of course, asked if uh, the cones that you see in front of the uh, instruments are actually speakers. It was very interesting and uh, I just finished uh, mixing the project today and the recording will also be out soon. Um, but when it comes to working with different um setups of course uh, the music and the ways of composing are you know different from setup to setup for example i worked at impact that i also mentioned at the beginning uh in 2018 if i remember correctly and that was the only time i had an opportunity to work with wavefield synthesis they have this gorgeous uh, studio with uh, 180 if i remember correctly 180 speakers and then we were in residency uh, uh, for a week there. And then, yeah, we all, uh, we were four artists invited and we created uh, projects that we presented at the end of the residence. So my project there was to create a an, an audio game. I guess you remember there were these old Nokia phones that had the snake game where you're supposed to... Uh, eat the oh, sources that was my favorite phone be... <laughs> okay so you are familiar with it of course you are I had that phone till like <laughs> it like it completely died I think I think it was almost I think I had it almost to like 2000 and like 10 or something like way later like people were starting <laughs> oh, to get wow. smartphones <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, yeah, so I remember that game because in the 90s, Georgia, having that phone was a luxury. Like, a, you know, it was really special. And then it had such a big impact on me when I got that phone and I could play the game on my phone. So then I was thinking, like, how, maybe I can make a, an audio game that with, with the same concept. So what I did was that in you know, it's it's possible with wavefield synthesis to uh, spread the sources in a space so that it's very it's it's very easy to locate them in the space the way you want, like exactly in the in the in the point of the space where you want it to be. So what audience was supposed to do is to connect to the server with their phones and then uh, they just had to walk around and and find the sources by listening to them and then you know just collect them together so this is something that just cannot be done with an ambisonic setup right so it always is different working with different speaker setups um, uh, but when it comes to ambisonics what i love about it is the flexibility that you can actually um, bring the uh, piece uh, to different venues and it doesn't really matter how many speakers you have there. You can always reproduce the piece 
and uh, that's why uh, most of my pieces are actually in uh, ambisonic format because it gives me the flexibility to have it performed as many times as it is possible. And so maybe just since we met at the Cube, um, I think you were the year, I think it was 2019, and um, you were participating in the Spatial Music Workshop there that year, if I'm correct. Maybe do you want to talk a little bit about the Cube? Oh, Cube was amazing. But my problem with Cube was that I was pretty new uh, back then. Uh, I think that was before I started studying uh, at the academy. So what I was doing was based on my own experience of like, you know, just, you know, experimenting with the software and trying to see what comes out of it. And also uh, what I realized was that the the room itself is so big that I, I totally lost the sound because I, I arrived with the prepared, you know, um, you know, the piece that I was working on for a while and I was supposed to finish it there and then present it at the end. And uh, I was shocked to see how much difference there was between what I was used to listening to at the Notlam studio and then bringing this piece to a huge uh, a space where the speakers are so far from you and from the center, like from the listening position. Uh, so that was what I struggled with a lot. Well, in the end, I, I managed to somehow, you know, make it work nicely. Hopefully. I don't know. You were there. Were you there? Or you you left maybe? Trying to think. I, I, I definitely remember your piece in the uh, Perform Studio, which is the 24.4 system. I oh, am. Yeah. Um, mm. I don't know if I got to hear your piece in the Cube, though. Was that on Sunday? Mm. I think I left on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> I don't that. yeah. So it was it was it was very special and I would love to go there now when I have uh, more experience working with this and better understanding of, you know, what tools do I need to use to use the system the best way possible. So and I'm working on that. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, and for the audience members who don't know what the cube is, it's a um, space in Virginia Tech, and they have a 140-channel system, um, and they've been doing spatial kind of music workshops, I think since 2015, um, and allowing different people to come in and kind of use the space and play with the system. And uh, it's a really, really cool space. They do a Cube Fest um, every year uh, where a bunch of composers come and present their work. It's uh, Definitely a fun experience. So as we kind of start to wrap up the podcast, um, what are your plans for the future? Uh, there are several projects coming up, uh, but there is there is one that I want to mention because the, this is what I will have the big, biggest focus on until the end of April because this is when it premieres. Uh, this is a commission of uh, Only Connect uh, that's a festival in Norway uh, that happens every spring uh, and in collaboration with the Coop program which is a talent program in Norway also uh, that selects six composers every year and then um, it's a year long uh, program uh, within which you uh, meet with the uh, 
representatives of uh, different festivals and curators and managers. And, you know, we also get this uh, financial support to create a new composition. And it's going to be a multi-channel sound with uh, five screen projection. Um, And it's going to be, you know, the concert length piece. Uh, And in the first part, it's me performing live. And then the second part, there is this uh, premiere of this piece, and this will take most of the time until the end of April. But besides that, there are several uh, projects uh, going on. For example, in October, I have a solo concert in uh, London at the Greenwich University, uh, which is organized by um, uh, Image and Sound Research Center. Um, There is a premiere in Hong Kong, in um, in the end of May, uh, and there are some other projects that are uh, that I won't talk about yet because they are still need they still need to be confirmed. So there is a lot uh, coming up, luckily, and uh, yeah, amazing busy schedule. What is the best way to find out more about yourself and the work you do? I guess my website, which I update regularly. I really, I, I really try to do that because I get this question often. Um, I also have my work samples there. I used to only put out some excerpts and uh, um, the works that I really love and appreciate. Uh, and there's a calendar where you can always see what is coming up. And in addition to that, I also regularly post on my social media because I find this the best way to reach uh, the audience. So Instagram and uh, partly Facebook as well. Last but not least, what piece of advice could you give to anyone that helped you in your career? This is a good question, but also difficult because it's... And I'm always hesitant to do that only when I'm sitting in a, in a classroom with a student whose work I know and whose struggles I know and who shares with me what is it that he or she is interested in. Then it's easier, you know, because we all come from different backgrounds and uh, we all have different struggles and problems to deal with, different strengths and weaknesses. So it's, uh, it's hard to find the one uh, general you know, advice I would give, but what worked for me personally, if I think about like the way I, I'm pursuing my career as a, as an artist is that, uh, coming from Georgia, you know, I, like I said, I didn't have any, you know, education in electronic music or like a background moving to Norway. And I also ended up in a class where I had this incredibly uh, smart and uh, successful classmates. I I was the only one who didn't have like, for example, a BA in uh, electronic composition. And I felt really a little bit scared, but I didn't give up. And uh, I worked really, really, really hard. And uh, also what helped a lot is that I always believed in my artistic ideas that I wanted to convey and then I despite the gaps that I had in my education and lack of experience that I had I always found ways technically I mean to pursue it and to make it work so 
the only advice will be, I guess it might also sound very banal, but, you know, just believe in your ideas and just work hard and it's going to work. It worked for me at least. So I, I hope it works for you too. Mariam, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for talking to us today. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, thank you so much for being here and sharing journey through everything that you've done. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash immersive audio podcast. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott. Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.